Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Uh, So Josh is going to come and read to us from Psalm 2. Why did the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of earth, of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you are the King of Kings and you are the living God. And I just ask that you'll be able to use Rebecca today and that we'll be able to, to listen to what you have to say through it. Um, thank you that you've saved us from our sins and that we can have a relationship with you. Amen. Thank you, Josh, for doing the reading. Uh, Good afternoon. My name is Rebecca, and I've been coming to Christ City Church for about six years now. Um, And if it's your first time or you've been here loads of times, you're so, so welcome. And today, over the next 20 minutes, we're going to be thinking about how finding refuge in the world leads to a broken life and how finding refuge in Jesus leads to a blessed life. So what is going on in Psalm 2? Well, look down with me at verses 1 and 2. Nations conspire, people plot, kings rise, rulers band together. And who are they doing all these things against? Glance down at verse 2. Against the Lord and his anointed. Now we need to pause for a moment here. Who who is the psalmist talking about? That means the author of the psalm, the psalmist talking about when he speaks of God's anointed. Well, an important note about this psalm is that it's called a messianic psalm, meaning it points to the Messiah. So it's to point to Jesus. So we learn that 700 years before Jesus would come to this world, the psalmist is speaking about him about what would happen to him. So there's a plot against God, against his son, Jesus, the Messiah, God's anointed. And what do the kings and rulers, peoples and nations hope to achieve? Look at verse four. They want to break free of the chains. They want to throw off their shackles. Essentially, they are saying, We don't want anything to do with God and his ways. We need to get rid of him because then we will be truly free. Now, this psalm was written 3,000 years ago, and yet the same language, the same thoughts are expressed by our generation. 
Look at these headlines. The day after the abortion referendum in Ireland, the people of Ireland have broken free from the repression of the church. That's what the Irish Times headline read the next morning. Or the Guardian, the church influence, influence is waning. Or what about Stephen Fry's opinion on God? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. And I wonder if you feel that way about God. You look at this world, you look at the brokenness, at the injustice, you consider the Bible as a rule book, and you see his guidelines on same-sex marriage, abortion, sex outside of marriage, and you see him wipe out nations in the Bible, and you think, much like Fry does, much like the people in this psalm are saying, life is better without him. You want nothing to do with him. So the question that you then have to answer is if you arrived at that conclusion, if you're saying, I don't want to follow God, I don't want to follow his ways, who are you going to follow? Well, let's go back into this psalm and consider who the psalmist could follow if not God. And the first one up on the screen there, the people, the crowd, the psalmist could follow the majority. The expression goes, there's safety in numbers. And that is true, right? It is much easier to abide by the popular opinion, to not stir up controversy or to play the devil's advocate. But what happens when you start to disagree with the crowd? What if you feel unseen or unheard? You're just part of the crowd and you start disagreeing with them. Their loyalty that gave you that sense of assurance of refuge is ripped from you. Well, hold on a second, maybe there's another option. Verse two, kings and rulers were in today's world, people of influence. They have power, authority, money, they're popular. Why would you not follow them? But what happens when they let you down? When they abuse their power and authority? That's what we read about every day in the newspapers. Shakespeare said it best, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Or what if they meet another fate? They get dethroned. Kingdoms rise, empires fall. That's what history shows us. And the same is true today. Politics, people of influence, it's always changing. And suddenly it is gone. Your security, your refuge, it's gone. Maybe you don't resonate with these first two categories, but what about the religion of today? The religion that people in this psalm also desire. What we say, do whatever you wanna do, be whoever you wanna be. See, we think it's new age, we think that we've come up with it, but the people in this psalm wanted the exact same thing. They wanted to go their own way. Verse four, break the chains, throw off the shackles. And that would be rather nice, wouldn't it? aside from the fact that it is completely unachievable. See, our world is full of injustice, and this limits us. Our, our background, poverty, the color of our skin, our gender, tragedy, heartbreak, disease. Our world is too broken for that to be the reality. 
So what is our fate if we choose not to follow God? Well, the psalmist tells us what happens to those who say, I don't want anything to do with you, God. Did you notice what verse 9 says? You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Or what about verse 12? Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction. And this image of being dashed to pieces like pottery, it has a twofold meaning. Firstly, it speaks to our present life. See, when we choose to follow the crowd, people of influence and power, or even ourselves, we will inevitably, inevitably be let down. We will face hurt and hardship, and we will feel like this image will resonate with it. We'll feel like pottery scattered over the floor. Life is fragile, and there is nothing that you can do to mitigate against it. And the second meaning the psalmist is talking about is death. What happens after we die? And verse 12 says, your way will lead to destruction. The psalmist doesn't say, you won't have God, you won't have his rules, you can just keep on partying and having all the good things. He says, no, you're heading for destruction. See, the Bible says and the Bible believes and we as Christians believe that God is the creator of every good thing. So you don't realize it, but right now, you're enjoying all the good things that God has given you. Friends, good food, family, holidays, love, relationships, a pint of Guinness after church. So destruction means you're gonna be living in a world without any good things. So maybe being free from God isn't all it's cracked up to be. Now maybe you're sitting here this afternoon thinking, gosh, this is pretty heavy, and I did not sign up for this on my Sunday afternoon. But stick with me, because this psalmist has good news for us. He says there is another way to live. And look down with me at verse seven. He says, I will proclaim the Lord's decrees. So why should we follow God? And we're going to be looking at two reasons. Because of who God is and because of what it means for us. So because of who God is. Last year, I got married and I made the biggest promise ever. To love Andrew, whatever comes our way, for the rest of my life. You might be sitting here thinking, that's a pretty big decision. Why would you decide <laughs> to do that? because of his character, because of who he is. So why follow God? Because of who he is. So what does this psalm say about him? Well, firstly, it says he is all powerful. Notice in verse four, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. God isn't sitting there in heaven going, oh goodness, what am I gonna do about this situation below? He's not worried or stressed that the people are plotting against him. He knows who he is. He's the creator of everything. He has the power to stop them in an instant, should he desire. And the second point is that he cares deeply. Look at verse five. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. 
And maybe you're thinking, yeah, now this sounds like the God that I've heard about. He just wants us to live in total fear of him, to just obey everything he says. And if he doesn't, he says, I don't want anything to do with you. But let's think about this a little more. I wonder if anyone here has watched Gossip Girl? Anyone? Well, my husband has been subjected to it way too many times. Um, it is utter rubbish, but I am bringing it into the sermon, so it just shows you you can bring everything into your sermon. Um, but it's a teen reality drama about this rich school in New York City, a very great Gatsby vibes. And one character is called Chuck, and his dad is an infamous business tycoon, and another is called Dan, who is poor and a bit of an outsider. And the two get in a brawl in a pub and end up in prison. And Dan says, my dad is going to be furious with me when he finds out what I've done. And Chuck merely replies, you have the luxury of having a dad who cares and loves you enough to get angry. God cares about you. And he rebukes. He doesn't bring the fire down. He gives these people a warning. That's what he's doing. He's giving them another chance. He's saying, the way you're living is wrong. Follow me. Listen to me. Trust me. He cares so deeply for you. And the next thing we learn that he is sovereign. Verse 6, look down with me again. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. He has installed, he did it, and it's his king, his choice, his mountain. Regardless of the chaos, amidst the conspiring, God is in control, and he knows exactly what he is doing. Nothing can thwart his plans. And his love is perfect. Verse 7 and 8 Look down, he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now remember, earlier I said this psalm pointed to the Messiah, to Jesus, and to what would, ha what would happen to him. Well, these verses are important. God would say these words to the psalmist, and then 700 years later, Jesus the Son of God, would come to earth. And the Bible tells us that he was fully God and fully human, meaning that he felt everything that we feel, the heat of the day in Jerusalem, the coolness of the shade, the hunger, thirst. And we know that the nations and the people would plot against him, that rulers would devise plans to have him killed. That Psalm, Psalm 2, verses 1 to 4, it came true for Jesus. He was God's son. He could have had the been the most powerful, influential person, dressed in the finest robes, renowned across the land for having the greatest wisdom. He was tempted by the devil to have all the same things. He was offered the same proposition that we are offered. To say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. What you've asked me to do, it's, it's too hard. It's too hard. But instead, he chose to what? Look at verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. And how did he do that? 
he allowed the nations, peoples, rulers and kings to have their way. To mock him, abuse him, to put a crown of thorns on his head and to hang him on a cross. The most painful way to die. Why would he do that? Because he knew and trusted his father in heaven. And they got what they wanted, right? Freedom. Justice was served. They had killed someone against whom no crime was actually ever unearthed. See, the reality was that on the cross, the king, the anointed, was punished for all our wrongdoings, all the injustices we see every day. He gave up his home in heaven, his refuge, with his father to come to earth to save the people who would nail him to the cross so that we could have a relationship with God and be offered a refuge in heaven that awaits all those who put their trust in him. So if sacrificing all the wealth, power, status in the world for people who don't even care about you isn't love, what is? Do Stephen Fry's words really ring true? Without him, life is much worth living, much more worth living. And the second point is because of what it means for us. And there's two points here. It means a refuge now, here in the present life, and a refuge for the future. The psalmist concludes in verse 12, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Not blessed are the religious and the morally well-to-do. Not blessed are those who have achieved great things in life. All who take their refuge in him will be blessed. And what are these blessings? Well, in my experience, they are everything and anything. From the breath of my lungs, to my friends and family, to the hard times where God has drawn me close, to the freedom from worry about my bank account or how I perform, to a complete removal of the shame that I felt when I let a loved one down, when I gossiped and when I still gossip, when I am and was sexually impure, to no longer fearing what my work colleagues, teammates, friends, family think of me when I share an unpopular opinion about the Bible. And one really specific period in my life, was in my last year at school, when everything went belly up. I didn't get the grades I wanted. My granddad was diagnosed with dementia. One of my best friend's dads died. I lost my granny. People at school were unkind. And my friendship group at church was full of division. And I felt so alone. And I remember crying out to God. I was angry. I was hurt. I thought that he wasn't really that good, because how could he allow all this to happen to me? And I opened my Bible and I read the story of the cross. And I'd heard that story probably a thousand times, but it it hit different. (laughs) Because I read the story of the cross and I saw a man despised and rejected, betrayed by his best friends. He had seen people die. He got me. He knew me. And he had provided for me in that moment a refuge In my little bedroom in Hollywood, a small seaside town in Northern Ireland, I, Rebecca, was able to come before God and say, the God who put the stars in the sky suffered for me, knows me, cares about me, cares about what was happening in school, cared about my exams, cared about my life. 
that was a refuge like nothing else. And he also promises me a refuge for the future. So when we read the words written in verse 7 and 8, they're now not just true for Jesus, I am your father, you are my son, but they are true for us because of his death on the cross. If we follow God, he is our father and we are his sons and daughters. And what does it say? We have an inheritance. And it's better than any stock plan or Bitcoin deal or pension plan. Jesus on the cross paid the ultimate price so that you can rest in the great assurance that you will be with God, your father, for eternity. So what do we do with what we've heard? What does this mean for us? Well, maybe you're thinking, wow, this life sounds pretty good. (laughs) And it is. (laughs) Um, And the psalmist gives us the answer. Look at verse 8. Ask me. Your heavenly Father loves you. And if you want to know him, you need only ask. Secondly, maybe you're living in this blessed life. You know Christ. He is your Lord and Savior, but you find it hard. And rest assured, we all find it hard at times. That's why we need each other. That's why we come together on a Sunday. But remind yourself of the truth that Psalm 2 proclaims. Remind yourself who God is in times of turmoil. Remind yourself that God is your father and you are his son or daughter. And blessed are those who take refuge in him. Pray out this psalm. And the third thing is that we need to take this seriously. Verse 10, be wise, be warned. We are to serve God, to recognize who he is and what he has done for us, to trust his character. And it says to kiss his son. Now, what is the psalmist getting at here? Well, it is only by looking to Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice that he made and choosing to enjoy it, Enjoy what Jesus did, the greatest display of love in human history. That you will no longer see God as a tyrant, the Bible as a rule book, his ways as repressive. But rather, you will say, if God would do all that for me, I trust he loves me. He cares deeply about me. He wants to give me good things and he wants to be my refuge from the inevitable storms of life, in the here and the now, but also for eternity. So the question is, what life are you going to choose?